0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Secure the Bag, a podcast where we talk personal finance, investing, and bettering yourself. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I'm joined by amazing guests from all walks of life who share their in-depth personal stories. I hope these stories make these topics more approachable, teaches you frameworks on how to get started, and gives you a sneak peek into future trends. Hey, everybody, I did a two-part Twitter thread over the past couple days on investing in crypto that I got a lot of good feedback on, so I wanted to make this an audio form for people that missed the Twitter thread. And um, really, the thread was about actually why not investing is much much riskier than investing itself, and we talk about investing and specifically investing in crypto why it's something everyone must do. So part one. Part one was, hey, what does the game of Monopoly actually teach us about investing? So imagine you're playing Monopoly, and your friend leans over and confidently shares his strategy, and he's like, hey, yo, I'm going to just minimize my expenses, keep passing Go, and collect my $200. Slow and steady, baby. Your initial reaction is probably going to be like, what the fuck? But then I think your second reaction is going to be, uh, he must not know how the game works. So, if you want to win at any game, you need to understand how the game works and then form a strategy based on those rules. So, in Monopoly, the rules are very clear. The cash you get at the beginning of the game is used, you can use that to buy property. You collect rent um, on properties that you own. So, when, when people land on your property, they pay you rent. Um, When you have a monopoly, so you have properties of the same color, you can then go build houses and hotels, which allow you to charge even more money when people land on those spaces. And finally, the more expensive properties you buy, they yield even more money on rent as well as houses and hotels. So with those rules as input, your strategy becomes pretty clear. Number one, buy any property you can. Cash is pretty useless and properties are, are scarce. Number two, don't be afraid to big game hunt. Those properties that might seem expensive now will pay off in spades later. Number three, form monopolies and build houses and hotels as soon as possible. That's the way to really generate revenue. And so you wanna kinda of do that the earlier the better. And then four, you want to relentlessly stomp plebs who don't own, assets are the best assets to win and you want to basically push them to bankruptcy by having them land on your properties over and over again so it's easy to see that Monopoly's rules effectively codify player behavior to a single mindset ownership is everything investing in properties isn't risky in this game it's the only thing to do without it you're basically fucked so what does this have to do with the real world so you guys ready for the big reveal? The real world has the exact same rules. My experiences have taught me the same. Those who own assets get rewarded and those who don't get punished. Wait, punished? Isn't investing risky and can't I just play it safe? No, you can't. Well investors are using bolting the race of life thanks to asset appreciation, because unlike a monopoly, that hotel that you buy on Boardwalk actually goes up in value every year. Non-investors are actually getting pushed backwards because of inflation. Inflation really just acts as a three to five percent tax on people that just hold the cash. So what should you do? So now that you know how the game works, your only choice is ownership. You're not being left out. If you don't own, you're actively choosing to lose. Now I know some of you will say, Yo Karthik, this sounds great, but I don't have money to invest. My answer is yes, you do. Fractionalized ownership allows you to own a piece of an asset. You don't ha- no matter how small, you don't have to own the whole thing. Uh, on Robinhood, for example, you can buy stocks for as little as one dollar. Coinbase allows you to buy crypto for as little as one or two dollars. And there's plenty of other examples um, of ways that you can own fractional pieces of assets, whether it's uh, something pretty new like NFTs. Pieces of homes, collectibles. Um, Rally Road has some really great things, or even art. Once you approach the world with an, with the mindset of an investor, the pieces begin to fall into place because you're playing the game to win versus not to lose. And so, what should your strategy be? It's, be, it's very simple: start owning assets today. Figure out a way to own even more assets over time, and then hold. Now. I want to be fair and add a disclaimer here. You don't just want to own anything, obviously you want to aim to own high quality assets. So that was part one on why investing is actually less risky than not investing and why everyone has to do it. For part two, we're going to delve into the world of crypto. So who remembers remembers this quote from Ocean's Eleven? Because the house always wins. Play long enough, never change the stakes, the house takes you. Unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big and you take the house. That quote is from Danny Ocean when he was trying to convince Rusty, who's played by uh, Brad Pitt, on doing this job and basically having the, 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 the perfect plan to, um, to, to rob the, the casino. So what does Danny Ocean and investing in crypto have in common? it turns out actually kind of a lot. Trying to build wealth in the current system is kind of a lot like going to the casino. It's a rigged game and the house takes a cut. Why is that? See, trust is key to transactions. Because humans can't inherently trust each other, what's the next best alternative? It's to rely on a mutually trusted third party. And so these are some of the biggest institutions that we have, including banks and financial corporations. Because we need them, these institutions have evolved to take all the power and also take a skim off of every transaction for example central banks print money out of thin air every year they normalize this as they call it inflation in quotes but in real talk it's effectively a three percent tax on your money every year any cash that you own is worth three percent less Now. It's kind of a, a hidden tax, right? Because if they actually took 3% out of your bank account, there'd be a riot. But what they do is the opposite, where they print more money so that the $100 you have in your bank account can only really buy $97 worth of stuff next year, but it's hidden, so you don't really feel it until many, many years later when the ca- all the cash you've been holding isn't very um, useful, or doesn't at least can't purchase as much as it used to. In the same token, credit and debit cards take a 3% cut off of every transaction and banks who pay you 1% interest, or if that, probably much less than that these days on your savings are then turning around and loaning out that same money that you've saved to someone else for greater than 4%. So there's that spread that banks are making off of every transaction. You're seeing a pattern. And by the way, these examples are from the US. It's probably, it's, it's actually often far worse in developing countries. So we've had no better option until crypto came along. Crypto represents a parallel system being built from the ground up, but, and it does this by solving trust differently. Instead of humans, crypto enables software to be autonomous, to be and basically act as our trust partner. What does this mean? Crypto enables software to have this new capability that I never had before. It can, it can guarantee its behavior. The behavior cannot be changed. So now as a result, for the first time, we could rely on software to control our money supply, process transactions, and establish ownership and provenance. Why is this a game changer? Now we, the people, get more control, the rules can't be changed, less overhead, the cut will be far lower on transactions, and fairness. One of the other hidden things that these institutions do is that they can discriminate or they can give special favor. They can curry favor with their friends. Software that's objective can't do that. Crypto really represents the next frontier of computing. We, we had PCs in the 80s. We had internet in the 90s. We had mobile in the 2010s. And crypto is, is this next wave. And its potential is really immense. Crypto will, in my opinion, digitally redesign our entire system. And we're still so early in this revo- revolution. The, there's this old quote that says, the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. The second time, the second best time is now. And there's a tweet embedded here that from Willy Woo who talks about in terms of adoption, Bitcoin is kind of where the internet was in 1997. So imagine, you know, how early people talked about, oh, the internet's really spiked with Amazon and some of the other companies, but Google hadn't been even, in, maybe it's been invented, but it, it hasn't been well known yet. And then, you know, way later is when you have Apple and the iPhone, um, you have Uber, you have all these other huge companies, Facebook, um, Snapchat, that have all come to the forefront. So we're still super early. And on top of all of that, crypto has memes, and great memes at that. The laughs are really fun, but the power is actually far greater. They onboard new users and helps the community stick together when the powers that be are pushing back. So don't get it twisted. The fight won't be easy. But what's your answer to Danny Ocean? You have the perfect hand. Are you ready to bet big and take the house?